0: seems like it's a lot harder to get the kids out of bed for school right now. (laughs) That's just part of it. Uh, So glad you're here with us this morning. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors here at Connection Point. Uh, Glad you've joined us in these weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, What a a great time of the year. And uh, it's also a time where we focus a little bit more on the opportunity for us to live generous lives, to, to give family and friends and usually a part of what Christmas is about. And, and so what we like to do here at Connection Point is, is annually take a look at how are we doing in our giving and giving selflessly because that's the model we have in Jesus that God gave his son and he models for us generosity. And, and so we like to look at how are we doing in that area uh, because one of the things I've noticed is in giving that oftentimes spills over into other areas of our life in the way that we follow Jesus and live free in him. And so what I I thought we could look at today as we talk about giving and the season of giving is under the heading of giving, are we fearful or are we cheerful? Where do you find yourself this morning? And so I was thinking back on my own life and I I grew up in a a home where giving was just a part of what you did with money. From an early age, I was taught that you give a dime out of every dollar, that that's, that's how we lived. I didn't think anything about it, mostly because where was my money coming from? birthday cards and Christmas cards. I wasn't earning the money anyway, right? So like who really cared where it was then going to go? But at the same time, I I was taught from an early age the principle of giving is just part of what you do with money. And so I, I was raised that way. But what I did realize is that as my income increased, so I was thinking about over the years, and as my income increased, I began to notice a slight hesitancy in my giving. I was still giving a dime out of every dollar, but now it was adding up to hundreds of dollars at a time, and somehow that felt different. Anybody ever get to that threshold, and and it's like, whoa, this feels different. Whenever I wrote out those checks, concerns such as these started running through my mind. What if I need money for something else? Am I saving enough? What if I have an unexpected expense? Those questions started floating around. My struggle never stopped me from giving a set percentage, but it sure took some of the joy out of it. Like you start to lose your joy of giving. And and as I began to evaluate my hesitancy, I concluded my problem wasn't greed, it was fear. I was slowly turning into a fearful giver instead of a cheerful one. I was losing confidence in my long-held belief that God was who he said he is and he would do what he's promised to do. It's like I was anchored to that, but I started to question that a bit. Under the growing pressure of, of needing to make ends meet each month, I was slowly becoming irrational in my thinking about God. That's really what was happening. Irrational about his faithfulness and and my role as a steward of his resources. And what I found is I'm not alone. For a lot of believers, cheerful giving has become fearful giving. We're not opposed to supporting God's kingdom with our resources, and we're not greedy, but we are concerned that if we don't look after our own needs first, they might not get looked at at all. I found that with a lot of people. But here's the thing: the testimony of Scripture, along with the experience of millions of believers, it provides a resounding response to our concerns. Any fear associated with giving to God's kingdom, it's actually irrational. It would would be the same thing as a farmer who, out of fear of losing his seed, refuses to plant his fields. Wouldn't that be crazy? I'm afraid to lose my seed, so I don't want to plant. That's the same kind of fear that we're talking about this morning. And as absurd as that may sound, many of us are guilty of hoarding the financial seed that God intends to be sown for the harvest that is to come. And it's because of fear. But the principle of sowing and reaping applies to our finances, that those who sow generously can expect to reap generously in receiving a bountiful return. Allowing our concerns about the future to limit our giving As we'll look at Scripture today and as we hear of the testimony of others, we'll see it just doesn't make sense. So at this time of year, as we take a look at this Christmas season of giving, what I want to do is look at a passage of Scripture to alleviate our fear of giving. That's what I'd like to do this morning. And as we do, here's what we'll discover. That we can trust God with our financial resources and be cheerful givers instead of fearful managers. That's what we're offered in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles... Hey, I hope you've got God's Word. Some of you are new today, and you're like, why would they repeat that? Because we want you daily in God's Word. It's so important. We don't want you just in God's Word on a Sunday. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to take a look at a book in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one underneath a chair in front of you. You're welcome to borrow that today. If you don't have one at home, take it home as a gift from the church. To find 2 Corinthians, go to the middle and go right. You'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Keep going, you'll eventually get to Second Corinthians. And we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 9, taking a look at verses 6 through 11 this morning. Second Corinthians. So there's a New Testament follower of Jesus, his name is Paul, and he writes this letter to believers in Corinth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's encouraging these believers in the city of Corinth. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a fearful giver, a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all the grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, What I'd like to do to get into the topic today is, is read a, a story from a book called Fields of Gold to help us put giving in the context of understanding giving is under the principle of sowing and reaping. So here's what the author writes. He says, the western sky was growing dark. In a few moments, the entire Oklahoma panhandle would be engulfed in the swirling blackness. Jeremiah Clary began the familiar task of rolling up wet rags, stuffing them in the cracks around the door to keep the dirt out. This particular afternoon, the churning winds were carrying tons of airborne topsoil in his direction. Even the slightest opening around a window would result in a solid layer of dirt on every surface in the house. The Clary family had been lured to the southern plains by the promise of bountiful crops and endless fertile fields of wheat. And for a while, that's exactly what they found. But throughout the 1920s, thousands of ambitious immigrants plowed up vast portions of virgin grasslands to plant their fortunes. The Great Depression drove even more settlers westward, and they quickly exploited the organic gold mine of America's heartland. Then in 1931, the rains stopped. More than 100 million acres of hopes and dreams stood drying in the baking sun. But that was just a prelude to the real devastation. With nothing to hold the topsoil, The once benign winds of the western plains scooped up the loose dirt on grain, one grain at a time and turned it into a giant sandblaster. To make matters worse, the relentless sun radiated the exposed soil, turning the entire region into a vast clay oven that whipped the windstorms into an even greater fury. This unusual combination of earth, wind, and fire bore a resemblance to an apocalyptic wrath. Clouds of dirt rose miles into the air, leveling everything in sight. Although it had taken a thousand years... For an inch of rich topsoil to accumulate, it was blown away in a matter of minutes. In the wake of such a storm, fields of shoulder-high wheat were stripped bare. Tons of soil accumulated in drifts against fence lines, buildings, and dying livestock. The drought would endure for a decade. As much as eight tons of soil per acre were lost every year. And all along, farmers like Jeremiah Clary kept thinking that surely the rains would return soon. In a circular area touching five states, more than 850 million tons of land were lost. A reporter passing through the region described it as a giant dust bowl, and the name stuck. Jeremiah lit an oil lamp as the whole Clary house vibrated under the onslaught of the black blizzard. Somewhere in the stratosphere above him was $34 worth of turkey red, a special blend of seed he'd sown the week before. It was headed in the direction of Missouri now. (laughs) How disappointing is that? Every time he sowed his fields, Jeremiah spent a month's salary in seed, and after five straight years with no income, it was getting to the point where he couldn't afford to keep up the routine much longer. He considered his odds of being wiped out again if he mustered the courage to replant. Like countless farmers in his shoes, Jeremiah was battling an unusual form of anxiety. During the normal growing seasons of the wet years, it would have seemed senseless to stockpile seed during planting time. But under the strain of the times, Many farmers were developing a psychological aversion to sowing. What if another storm comes and blows away my investment? What if all my efforts get wiped out again? What if? Jeremiah began to feel a strange attachment to his remaining precious bags of seed. He knew they were worthless sitting in the barn, but Jeremiah couldn't help feeling that it was better off keeping them there, protecting them from the what-ifs that blew across the plains with increasing predictability. A few weeks passed and some of the other farmers began to plant again. There weren't many days left before the window for germination would slam shut and another hot summer would be underway. Jeremiah almost trembled with indecision. If he didn't plant soon, he'd miss his chance for even a meager crop. And even a meager crop would at least replenish his stores of seed. But if he did plant, he could end up losing everything. He went back to the barn to check his seed one more time. The irony was overwhelming. Jeremiah Clary was not a greedy man. But under the mounting weight of uncertainty, he was slowly becoming irrational. What's a farmer do? What do we do with our seed? Because you and I, we can live in a dust bowl. That every day we brace ourselves for the impending devastation that could sweep across the financial landscape and wipe out our stores of seed. We think about these things. In our world, the what-ifs manifest themselves in circumstances such as diminishing retirement accounts, unexpected expenses, and worldwide economic turmoil. We stuff wet rags around the cracks in our portfolios and hope for the best. In the midst of it all, we have a crop to produce, a spiritual crop. Like Jeremiah Clary, we've got a limited supply of financial seed for sowing in God's kingdom. Perhaps you once dreamed of sowing fertile fields of generosity, but reality has taught you to be more cautious. What if I give away too much? What if there's not enough left for me? What if? And we're not greedy, but we're a lot like Jeremiah Clary. Under the mounting weight of uncertainty, it's easy to slowly become irrational about our possessions. We lose sight of who really owns them. We fail to grasp how we should be sowing them for God's kingdom. And we get confused about what we should really fear regarding our finances in this life. Like facing eternity, having sown only a few handfuls of our personal wealth for God's kingdom. Many Christians know that they'd like to give, but fear kicks in before they can bridge the gap with faith, because faith is what's required to move from fearful giving to cheerful giving. And the Bible's not short on helping to point out scriptures to help calm our fears of the way that Jesus intends to take care of us. Take a look at Matthew six thirty-three. What Jesus says is, he will give you all you need, talking about God, he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. And as we're about to discover from our passage this morning, God's nature is to replenish the stores of those who strive to be faithful conduits for his kingdom work. When you participate with God in his mission, you can trust him to reward you abundantly for every good need. When you begin to view your wealth from God's perspective, you'll see that the thing to fear isn't giving away too much, but actually sowing too little. Our passage shows us we can trust God with our financial resources and be cheerful givers instead of fearful managers because the law of the harvest, it applies to our finances. The law of the harvest, and we live in a land where we should understand harvest, right? If you have not seen a cornfield here, open your eyes while you're driving, please. We should understand farming in this community. And it's interesting that that's what you find in the New Testament, the metaphor they leverage for giving, what Paul uses. And Paul says the law of the harvest applies to our finances. So when you look at spiritual giftings in Ephesians 4, it says the Lord has given apostles, uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Um, It kind of runs through an evangelist. And it links pastor and teacher. And so I was asking Shelly about the message this morning for service. She said, I think you need to tell people you're teaching more than preaching this morning. So here's your information. I'm teaching more than I'm preaching this morning. I'm teaching about giving. Uh, because it's an important part of how we follow Jesus you know I had shared as we took communion the last couple of months that it is God's desire that we live with hearts set free and as it relates to communion the reason we take communion the Lord admonishes us examine your heart and what are we examining is your heart free and if it's not it's probably because of one of three things how are you doing living with God How are you doing living with other people? Or or how are you doing living with the lost? Those are the three things we're called to as we covenant with Jesus in communion. But I would also say, as we look at giving, if your heart is struggling in giving, what is Jesus' heart for you? That you live with your heart set free. And the way that you live with your heart set free is you've got to overcome the fear of giving and embrace the cheer of giving. So that's what I want to walk through today and look at this passage of scripture to do it. And here's what Paul is telling the Corinthian believers. He's saying the principle of sowing and reaping, it applies to giving. Paul is saying is that those who give generously will receive something back in return for their participating. In fact, there's a direct correlation between how much you give and what you see in return. That the more you sow, the more that you reap. But let's face it this morning. This principle has been taken to all kinds of extremes. Some people have misused this passage for personal gain. All kinds of wacky promises have been offered, like send me a dollar and God's going to give you ten in return. Okay, that's wacky. A lot of people have been disappointed because they expected this principle to make them rich. So let me be clear. Paul wasn't talking to people who were trying to get rich. We've got to consider the context. He wasn't trying to get their money. He was simply explaining how God wants faithful men and faithful women to act as conduits for distributing his wealth around the world. That's all Paul's trying to do and not for personal gain. And that's the important piece. We don't give to get. It's not a personal gain thing. It's about investing in God's kingdom for his movement. That's what we do in giving. Paul was offering encouragement to those who wanted to move beyond their fear of giving and cross the line to unbridled generosity. He wants us to know it's safe to obey God and be good stewards. And this is good news for reluctant givers, that when you give away something valuable, it feels like a loss, like you had something and now you don't. But that's not what we're doing. It can become a tremendous disincentive to give more. Paul puts the concept of giving in a completely different light. He says that giving to God's work is not giving something away. It's an investment. It's not a loss. The farmer who sows doesn't lose seed. He gains a crop, right? Does he lose that seed? No, he gains a crop. And that's what Paul is trying to help us understand with giving. What rational farmer would say, I'm afraid to sow my seed because then I won't have the seed anymore. What will happen if I need this seed? Any farmer knows if he wants a crop, he's got to sow his seed. It doesn't benefit him to stuff his pockets full. Not a lot grows there. Neither does it do any good to pray, Oh God, can you imagine a farmer praying this? Oh God, please give me a crop. I'm not sure I'm ready to sow any seed. But God, I'm trusting you to get involved, and I'm holding on to my seed just in case. That's a pretty hard prayer to answer, right? It's powerful news for anyone who's afraid to give because of financial insecurity. It suggests the wisest move that we could make financially is to begin sowing financial seed, because when we do, God gets involved in our finances. And that's the most financially secure place to be. If you've never been a bountiful giver, chances are you've never seen this work in your life, and so that's why you're unsure about this principle. But Paul tells us anyone who's willing to sow handfuls of seed can expect an appropriate crop in return. It's a principle. The law of the harvest applies to our finances, which is why we can trust God with our financial resources and be cheerful givers instead of fearful managers. And we can live this way because cheerful giving aligns our lives with God's agenda. Cheerful giving, it aligns our lives with God's agenda. And in case you're unaware, you want your life aligned with God's agenda. You really do. (laughs) It's one thing to give because it makes us feel good or because we have God on our side financially. Those are okay motivations. But there's another reason that's even more fulfilling than either of those. Paul tells us in our passage that God gives to the poor and that giving results in hearts of thanksgiving for others. Paul is reminding us of God's commitment to disperse his gifts and care for the poor. In other words, God is up to something in the world. I think you know that. God is up to something in the world. And when we get involved with him in this way, we're taking our place in a plan that's much bigger than our life and our little bucket of seed. We're participating in God's providential plan for the world. God is concerned about the poor, and he's concerned about the Great Commission, seeing the lost become found. That's what he's about. He's made a promise to care for poor people, and he's promised that the world would be reached. Those are his promises. And he's committed to those objectives. And those things do cost money. And the fact is, God will get the money from somewhere, but he'd rather partner with his people to accomplish that work. He's looking for people who are trustworthy stewards, to participate with him by voluntarily using some of their finances in order to fund his interests. So what do we have to fear? Think about this. Why in the world would God drain you of your resources and then not replenish them to accomplish what he's committed to doing? Why would God do that? In other words, if you are a partner with God in this way, why would he hinder your ability to give toward the things that are the passions of his heart? God wouldn't do that. God's going to do this. He's going to bless the poor, and he's going to reach the lost. And the question is, will we be doing it with him? Because we're invited. Giving aligns our lives with God's agenda, which is why we can trust God with our financial resources and be cheerful givers instead of fearful managers. And we can live this way because cheerful giving results in repeat opportunities. Cheerful giving, it results in repeat opportunities. Here's what Paul makes a statement in this passage from this morning. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul couldn't be more explicit. When we're faithful to give generously, we're serving God. And as a result... He comes back with us, to us with more. When he distributes again in the future, when he wants to distribute again in the future, he's going to remember us as capable partners. When restaurants give good service, they see repeat business. And the same applies to good stewards. God wants to give to you so that you can give to his work. And if you sow generously, then God is able to give you more for that purpose. And God takes special care of his faithful stewards. As long as you're in a giving partnership with him, he makes sure that you get what you need when you need it. That's just what he does. Now, at the same time, it doesn't mean you then indulge yourself in lavish shopping sprees. That wouldn't be good stewardship. But what it does mean is the Lord intends to faithfully provide for your needs. And it should dispel our fears, really, about giving as we consider that. The thing to fear isn't giving away too much, but sowing too little. I mentioned that. In fact, there's really only one thing we should fear when it comes to giving— Holding back on God to the extent that he's no longer involved in our resources. You see, by suggesting that we can get God involved in our finances, we're also suggesting that you can keep him from getting involved. So if there's something to fear, that would be it. The question is, what do you fear most? Not having enough or not having the involvement of your heavenly father in the realm of your resources? So maybe you've got a displaced fear this morning. If you fear not having enough, is trumped by the fear of missing out on God's involvement in your finances, what you do is you're gonna seek his kingdom first because if you want God involved, you say, Jesus, I wanna be a part of advancing your kingdom. And what you'll do is you'll sow selflessly, generously, fearlessly, and intentionally. And the result is a peace that defies human logic. If you wanna find some of the most peace filled, joyful people in the world, go look at givers. That's what happens in our hearts. What you fear most will determine whether you merely save for the future or you actually give for your future. The question you should ask yourself is this, who is better able to meet my needs, myself or God? And when you find the answer to that question, that should dictate the way that you give. Because cheerful giving results in repeat opportunities, which is why we can trust God with our financial resources and be cheerful givers instead of fearful managers. And so the question this morning is, is how we become cheerful givers? Well, we can become cheerful givers simply by taking next steps in giving. We can become cheerful givers by taking next steps in giving. So to take next steps in giving, I I want to explain some of the different levels of giving this morning. So in your programs this morning was a bookmark, and on there it has different levels of giving. So if you want to pull that out, I just want to talk through those five ways that you can take next steps in giving to become that cheerful giver. So on the bottom part, There's nunner, occasional, consistent, faithful, and generous. So, it shouldn't require much explanation, but a nunner doesn't give anything, right? That's the nunners. But we also have occasional givers, those that give occasionally. They see an offering opportunity and they'll give to that. And then we have consistent givers, those that give consistently on a monthly basis. But then we also have those that we would put in the category of faithful givers, those that designate a certain percentage of their income for the sake of giving. And then we also have generous givers, those that give above and beyond. And in our context, we call those kingdom builders to give to those things like as we plant the church in Saudi Arabia, as we plant the church in Iraq, as we invest in kids' spaces, as we invest in next generation leaders. Those are the people that are giving above and beyond. So the encouragement this morning is to move beyond fear and become a cheerful giver, no matter where you're at. (coughs) One of the challenges that we found in giving is that we live in a world that always encourages people to uh, spend more than they have coming in. So one of the things that we like to regularly offer, especially in our spring semester, is a Connect Group series on Financial Peace University. So if that's where you find yourself this morning, you just need some good practices in financial planning, I would encourage you to sign up for that Connect Group in the spring when that comes out, because we want to help you live according to how Scripture would have us live as givers in generosity in life. So now, as we My encouragement is, is in taking next steps of giving this next year. So if you've been a nunner, just become an occasional giver. Somebody who drops something in as you see the opportunity pass you by. If you've already been an occasional giver, simply become a consistent giver so that you take that next step, you climb the next rung in the ladder. So maybe you're going to say, I'm going to give 2% or 3%, and that becomes a consistent giving pattern for you on a monthly basis. And if you've already been consistent... We'd encourage you to become a faithful giver, to move from consistent giving to faithful giving, which we would put in the category of saying, I'm going to give 10% to the Lord. And so then the question is, well, where does that come from? And we've got a couple of different passages that we like to look at to encourage people in consistent giving or in faithful giving. So we're going to take a look at Matthew or Malachi chapter 3. And here's what Malachi writes. So bring the full tithe, so that's what, tithe means 10%, that's where that principle comes from. Into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, I want to say this promise was given to a particular people at a particular time in God's redemptive history. So we don't leverage the promise, but we can live by the principle. And the principle we find in this verse is that as we are faithful with the resources God has given us, God, in the end, is also faithful to us because everything belongs to him anyway. As we're faithful, God is faithful. But I also want to look just not at the Old Covenant, but what do we see in the New Covenant? In the teachings of Jesus, we find in Luke chapter 6, he says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure that you use it will be measured back to you. So Jesus has that same principle that we find in Malachi, That as we give, God is faithful to take care of us. Over and over, that principle holds true, but that's before the cross, so let's look now after the cross. And we already looked at that passage this morning where Paul says, The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, over and over, between Old Covenant and New Covenant, between what we find in the prophets and Jesus and in our epistles, is that as we are faithful, God is faithful. Because the question is, do we trust God? That's really the question in giving. Do we want God involved in our finances? It's great to love God, but it's amazing to actually trust him. And as we faithfully give, God is faithful to provide. We don't give to get. We give because other people are in need. So one of the, the things that we like to do to, to help people is we, we do something called a 90-day challenge. So if you're moving from consistent giving to faithful giving, we encourage you to test that principle for 90 days. Um, that kind of sounds funny, but here's the reason why. Has anybody ever done a high ropes course? You guys familiar with some of those? So if you've not done a high ropes course, so it's way high up in the air, and the way that they help to make sure that you don't fall off to your impending death is they put you in a, uh, in a harness. So they put you in this harness, they attach you to a cable, and here's my, my clue for you to help you do high ropes course as well. What I have seen is two different responses to that. Some people, even when they're in the harness, they're like tiptoeing around up on that high ropes course, like scared to death. And I say, don't do that. When you get the harness on, what you need to do is just jump off somewhere and dangle. And once you know you're good, guess what happens? You're like a trapeze artist up there because you don't have any fear of that high ropes course because you know that you're being held by it. So that's what we do with the 90-day challenge. Is to say we know that this principle holds true. We've been doing that for several years now, and we've had several people say, "I want to make that leap, but I'm a little bit nervous about making that leap." Uh, so what we do is we take uh, folks if they want to do the 90-day challenge on your offering envelopes. There's a space for faithful giving and generous giving. Those are in your seat back, and under the faithful giving, there's a 90-day challenge. So our encouragement would be is if you're moving from consistent giving to faithful giving. You've never given 10% that that's a stretch for you. It almost sounds crazy. As you take that step, what we do is you give that, then we just put those funds in a separate account and we tell you, we're just trusting that the Lord's gonna follow through on his end of the bargain and he always does. But what we'll do is we'll hold those funds aside. And if you find after 90 days of living that life that God doesn't come through, come and let us know and we'll write you the check for the difference. We've been doing that for three years. And do you wanna know how many checks we've written? Zero. Why? Because people, as they test the Lord in this principle, they find that it's true, and it's hard to explain that sometimes. If you were here last year, as we you know annually talk about the opportunity of giving, uh, the drains shared how they didn't understand how that principle could hold true, but it holds true over and over. And there's many people in this church that know it to be true. So my encouragement would be: is simply take next steps in giving, and if you're moving from consistent to faithful, do the 90-day challenge and watch how God shows up in your resources. He will. But now, if you've already been giving faithfully, we'd encourage you to take the next step and start giving generously. And the reason we, we, where we get that from is Paul, he encourages these same Corinthian believers in the chapter before. He says in chapter 8, he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing. And that's what it is to give. You know, something important to note is, is faithful giving is actually the floor of New Testament giving. Sometimes that's a question, but it really is. What we've already read in the verses that we've got up to this point is, as Paul is saying, generosity is the way that we live a life who follows Jesus. In the ESV, this verse in Corinthians, it says that these believers gave beyond their means. And the question is, well, how do they do that? They were giving beyond their means because they'd already been faithful givers. The way that someone becomes a generous giver, the way that someone gives beyond their means is because of what the Bible tells us about faithful giving. When a person gives faithfully, God is faithful, which then provides a way for individuals to move into the area of generous giving. So you really can't be a generous giver until you become a faithful giver. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, we just encourage you to take next steps. Grow in the the art of giving, and that's the way that you can wrestle fear to the ground because God starts showing up in your resources, and then you're not fearful about the future. You understand God is in the future looking over things. Faithful giving. What we find is it's God's test to see if he can entrust us with resources to go through us for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. Can we be trusted with resources that are meant to result in hearts of thanksgiving for others? As we become faithful in giving, God who supplies seed to the sower, he multiplies the seed for sowing so that you can give generously. And that's the principle. You know, as we talk through the biblical text, that's great, but I also like for you to hear from those who have seen this principle play out in their lives. So I'd ask the Kerwicks if they'd be willing to come and share. Can we welcome the Kerwicks as they come? So Steve and Stephanie have been on their own journey, and and as we all are, in what it looks like to to be faithful in giving, so I want them to share a bit about that this morning.
1: Good morning. Yeah, I know. So uh, I was going to say this is a journey. Um, I'm born again Christian as of 12 years. Um, Stephanie and I got married 12 years ago. I came into the marriage with a lot of debt. Um, She was in school. Uh, I'd rather give money than talk right now, but. Anyway, (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, so we decided we were going to start paying off debt, and I didn't know how we were going to do it because, like I said, she was in school, and we still had our regular bills to pay, so we started paying off debt, and she said something about giving, which I found out she was already doing. Um, (laughs) So we gave for a while, and she said, how do you feel about, you know, our giving? Do you feel like we are sacrificing? And I was like, well, not really. If I think about it, we weren't, we weren't sacrificing. Our bills were getting paid. Uh, our debt was getting paid, or my debt was getting paid. Yeah, we were eating out. Um, so we started giving more. And a little bit later, she came to me and again asked me if she felt like we were sacrificing. And I said, no. And she said, well, we got money in the bank, and our bills are being paid, and our debt's almost paid off. And I was like, wait, we got money in the bank? And so I was like, "We need to give more. <laughs> so we have became tithers, faithful tithers. And, uh, and now I just I, I, if we forget the checkbook, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, we need to hurry up and go home and get checkbook." Um, but what i realized is, when I was sitting back here thinking about this, not only has it built my faith in god but it's made me trust him in other areas of my life also not just in the tithe
2: so we did the faithful giving and uh, that was a big leap for for steve very fearful but um, we were never hungry we were always had shelter and clothing and things um and then as income increased um we we were able to advance to to a more generous giving and so um and we enjoyed that we really enjoyed it we would you know and it's really hard to talk about this and not go like too you know um, <laughs> <laughs> but we enjoyed we enjoyed things like um like being a big tipper, you know, kind of thing, and really blessing someone that way. And we identified a couple of areas we didn't know about kingdom builders then. Uh, <laughs> we identified a couple of areas where we could really invest in in children that were in orphanages in other countries mm-hmm. and things like that. And so we did that, and we felt really great about doing that. Um, and but we were really, if I'm if I'm being honest, we were really giving generously out of our abundance. And um, going through a big life change about three years ago, um, it's taken three years. Our, 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 our storehouses are not, we don't have any. <laughs> we, we used to, and, and, they've, and they've really diminished and they've depleted. And it's really been a challenge um, to, to maintain joyful giving because um, we, we just feel a little bit more pressure there. But our bills are, our paid. Bills are still paid. If you saw my pantry, you'd kind of probably go, you need to get rid of some food. Um, And, you know, so so we're still very much being taken care of. Um, I think about it, it's, it's funny, as we were, I was thinking about this talk, and this week I got an opportunity to participate in some decorating, and um, it brought out a great big huge ladder so that I could reach the top of the tree, and as I stood at the top rung, which I was thinking of our ladder, as I stood at the top rung, I'm looking around, there's no wall, there's nothing to hang on to, I tried the tree, it moves, just so you know, and, um, and so I, I sat I sat on top of the ladder to make myself feel safe standing up there. Mm. And, mm. and I realized that's what I've done with my giving that I've just sat because I am afraid to just stand on that top rung mm. and be generous and know that God's got me. He's been faithful for 12 years
1: very faithful,
2: and whatever he calls me to do, mm. it is because he, he has something in mind for me. Mm. Amen.
0: Thank you. Can we thank them for sharing? So, the encouragement is simply to take next steps in giving this next year. So, this bookmark is yours. It's not something we collect. Um, but I would take it and actually circle where are you at and where would the Lord have you go the next year uh, so that you can wrestle fear to the ground and start becoming that cheerful giver. Because you see, the opposite of fearful giving actually isn't courageous giving, it's actually just joy. The opposite of fear is joy. So if you're lacking in joy, could it be because you're living in fear? And so one of the ways you can wrestle fear to the ground is to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you and take next steps in giving because I know I'm meant to live with a heart set free. And giving helps us to do that. So I would encourage you, take uh, that, that paper, encircle that, and put it as a bookmark in your Bible, something to remind you this next year that the Lord is putting before you an opportunity to wrestle fear to the ground and become joyful instead of fearful as you walk with him. Because we really can trust God with our financial resources and be cheerful givers instead of fearful managers as we take those next steps in giving. So Jeremiah Clary, getting back to him, he sat back in the old oak rocking chair on his front porch. The morning sun was gleaming across an endless sea of golden shimmering wheat in front of him. The early autumn air was crisp. A million sprinkles of dew made prisms out of rays of sunshine, giving the field a brilliant diamond coating. A light breeze gently stirred the wheat, creating rolling waves that looked like breakers of liquid gold washing ashore on Jeremiah's private beach. He smiled with delight. Jeremiah thought back to six months earlier, during the days of torment and anxiety. He remembered the particular morning when it seemed like life itself hung in the balance. He pictured himself huddled in that dusty, wind-blown barn sitting atop the sacks of seed like a mother hen on full alert. Conditions had been perfect for planting at the end of the sowing season, but instead, Jeremiah was locked in the barn, the door held shut with metal bolts. It was a time when he struggled to keep a rational mind. Since that time, many of Jeremiah's old friends had given up and moved on to California. Others had stayed trying their hand at something besides farming, but Jeremiah had finally decided to put his hand to the plow one more time. Despite the fear of black blizzards, he mustered the courage to sow the fields with hope once again, and today was harvest day. As Jeremiah mounted his Massey Ferguson, he surveyed the richest crop on record in Harper County. It was like driving into a pot of gold. On that same harvest day, other farmers were living out their worst fears. Those who had cowered under the threat of dust storms without sowing were now bare-fielded and empty-handed. Jeremiah took a deep breath and set his leather hat around his brow like a crown of jewels. The flat horizon showed wheat as far as the eye could see. Fear was nowhere to be found. So the question is how are you going to sow your seed? You can't expect a crop with seed in your hand. It's meant to be planted. So what are you going to do with that? Are you going to wrestle fear to the ground to become joyful instead of fearful? Giving does a as a wonderful way of seeing that happen. So how much more peace and confidence could you have in life knowing God was in charge of your financial resources? What kind of sacrifice uh, significance could you find in life knowing you're participating in God's plan? And both of those things happen. As you give and you trust God with your future, there is more peace to be found there. And what I have found, uh, because you know we receive financial requests in, uh, which we're glad to receive those and, and come alongside those people that are in need of help, But what I've realized is, is at some point in someone's financial journey, they will recognize God in their resources, whether it's on the back end where they're asking him to do what they knew all along he could do to help with their resources. And I would say, don't wait on the back end. Why not get God's help on the front end of things and say, God, manage my resources from here. And we do that as we start taking next steps in giving.